0: Ladies and gentlemen, it seems we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Topspeed.com podcast. Hello everyone, how is Peoples? My name is Christian Moe. Today I am being joined by our editor in chief, Justin Cutler. Justin, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? You know, as Mark's words, I can't complain. Speaking of Mark's words, we also have Mr. Mark McNabb. Mark, how are you today? I
1: am very good and yes, no complaining here. It's all good in the hood.
0: Oh, you live in the hood? I'm sorry. No, not really. <laughs> you live in Florida. Like 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 what is the hood? Boca? Oh. There nah, some I know,
1: right? Florida, God's waiting room.
0: <laughs> I swear this granny came by. She had this old bag and she hit me with it, and it's just terrible. I <laughs> drive by beating. All right. Ugh. Listeners, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, once again, this is the Topspeed.com podcast. Topspeed is your home for all the super cool, awesome, and amazing things that are automotive and on the internet. Car reviews, we have them. Car news, we got that too. Super cool videos. Heck yeah, we got a lot of those. Anyways, we're happy to have everyone here. Uh, this week, we're going to start, like always, with our weekly wheels. Um, I've decided I'm going to go last because I have the best set of weekly wheels. <laughs> Instead, we're going to start with Mark. Mr. Mark, what have you had a chance to drive?
1: Uh, well, I you know I spent some recent time in the uh, Toyota Corolla. Um, it's just It's a nice little car. It's redesigned for 2014. Um, it looks all right, um, nice and sporty. Uh, it does come with a manual transmission. Um, I do have to say the uh, the throttle is quite touchy. Uh, if you breathe on it wrong, it's like six thousand RPMs like instantly. But um, noise vibration harshness is a little rough as well. But other than that, you know, it's a good little car for your family. Um, it's pretty cheap. I don't really remember the starting price, but it's definitely I think it's around sixteen or seventeen. But you know, it's a it's a good good little car. Can't can't complain too awful much.
0: <clears throat> Can't You're complain, right. huh? Yeah. I know, you know. But I mean, seventeen grand—like, some NVH is just going to be an issue at that price. Oh, of course. course, yeah. And you know, the the manual is a lot better than the
1: CVT. The CVT, I've got I do have to complain about. I mean, literally from a standstill, you can map the the throttle, and it is not going to go anywhere really quick. I mean, it really can't get out of its own way. I um, have
2: I've dealt with plenty of CVTs, and I have seen one, one. CVT that I actually found somewhat decent. Every single one has been nothing but a turd.
0: You, sir, are a liar. There is no good one. <laughs>
2: there is one. Give, give the Lancer GT a try. I tested one. I'll get to one later in one of the other podcasts. It has the, uh, the shiftable CVT with six speed. That is actually kind of a cool CVT.
1: Well, I have yet to drive that one, but I'll, all I know is the, the Corolla really isn't that uh, that sporty. Um, but, you know, get the manual and have your your cake.
0: There you go. Um, Did you ever have a chance to drive one of the older Corollas? The last Uh, year models?
1: I know they were a little bit rougher, but no, I haven't uh, haven't spent too much time in those.
0: Okay. That's something I'm running into a lot. It's people that I've spoke with. um, Either they've driven the old one and not the new one, or the other way around. So I'm really trying to find someone who's had a lot of time in both to give me a really solid comparison between the two. All right. uh, Sticking to the tiny, small, and cheap cars... Uh, Mr. Justin, what have you had a chance to try?
2: I had the uh, opportunity to kick around the Kia Forte EX. Um, It was a pretty good, pretty decent car. Um, Not overly powerful, but enough power to get out of its way. Uh, Transmission shifts pretty nicely. noise isn't too awful bad. Uh, What Kia's been doing with all of our press cars is sending out the fully loaded version. So this is your, you know, Kia Forte that has everything. Leather interior, heated cold seats, navigation, every little thing you wouldn't imagine in a Kia. So it was a really, really nice experience. Um, Like I said, noise isn't bad. Uh, it had the, I think, the 17-inch wheels, so the ride quality wasn't all that great. Those are a little bit too big for that car. Um, but in terms of power and handling, you really can't ask for much more out of a small sedan that's about 25k or so. Um, and actually, um, I may be a little bit biased because I like the thing so much, I actually turned around and bought one. So that's I, impressive. Like, yeah, I actually bought a 2014 EX Forte5, 5, the 5-door version cuz I didn't like I didn't care for the trunk the trunk was a tad bit too small. Um so I actually bought one so that's a that's a, a a vote of confidence for it. Um and and the seats fold down folded down unlike the last key I had. So that that was nice to have. Uh but overall it's a nice car for the price. Um uh, the base model I think starts off at about 17,000. which Isn't too bad, but it's pretty stripped down. Uh, the one I got was about 22000 You get some goodies in there. The touchscreen, uh, rearview camera, um, all kind of good stuff in the one at about 21000
0: It's not good. Okay, yeah, that's not too bad. Um, I have a certain, not dislike, dis- dislike is almost too, too strong of a word. I have issues with most of Kia's and Hyundai's uh, sedan offerings in all their ranges. I just, there's something about the way the cars handle it. I don't know. They feel a little too loose, a little too sloppy uh, once you really start canning on them, and that always bothers me a little bit. Well,
2: they are a little piggish in corners. I'll, I'll give them that. They are a little piggish, but the, the forte is not bad. It really isn't as bad as the the, um, the cadenza that I had that I talked about last week. That thing was a pig in the turns. It wanted to roll every time you went around anything over 40 miles an hour. Even the slightest little soft curve, the body leaned over so badly, it felt like you are going to flip over. Uh, but the forte 's really not that bad now, my wagon version the five door's a little more a little bit top heavy so it 's not quite as good as the sedan and it doesn 't have the larger wheels like my test model did um so it wasn 't all that bad
0: okay i've i 've not driven the uh, forte, but like I had that issue in the Optima and I was like, well, but, but I mean then right. again, you know like toasting
1: corners at eighty miles an hour isn 't really the forte's forte hey, so, whoa, you, whoa. you know. <laughs>
0: So I mean okay.
1: you know, they're built for, you know, hauling people around slowly
0: and economically. So Mark, yeah, I, don't I say stu- <laughs> don't don't <laughs> say stupid things like it's not the forte's forte or I will do everything I can to have you fired. <laughs>
1: uh, but honestly on, it it that was that was pretty clever, man. Come on. No, <laughs> no,
2: no, it wasn't no, clever. It wasn't really clever. <laughs> it was kinda like you went, it's not the forte <laughs> Oh crap. I can't think of another word. Forte <laughs> Yeah, no. I
0: it's not the Fortes and went to continue. I'm like, oh, man, don't <laughs> do it. Don't do it.
2: But honestly, it does what it's supposed to do well. It I average 28 miles per gallon, and uh, mostly in the city in my five-door. Um, the sedan averaged about 30 when I had it, so it does that well. It, it, it drives people around, hauls enough cargo well. Um, it's not a sports car. So if you're trying to take the twist at yeah. 80, well, you got the wrong car in your hands.
0: <laughs> well, so I, I, I guess that's what really surprised me, especially with Hyundai, is um, I was in the Sonata. Uh, I was on a different press trip, actually. I was on a trip for Nissan. We were doing the new Altima. And when we got to our halfway point, they had other cars there, you know, like competitor models for us to drive. And they had the uh, Sonata. And I mean, at lower speeds, like 35 or 40 miles an hour, I'd hit a turn and... There was some clenching and some white knuckles. And I was like, that? I just almost died. What the heck happened? You know, just, yeah, it was just like the way the car leaned and transitioned into the corner. And, you know, I, I understand that they're making a car for a market that's not into that. But it just sort of, I want a little more.
2: Yeah, I can understand that. But they are. They're, they're making a car to, that, they, that people can buy for cheap but still rides nicely. So they have to kind of compensate that suspension, give it a little more body roll to, to absorb the, the bumps and take away the NVH. <clears throat> right.
0: That, and I mean, I'm on the other side of, this, of the spectrum. Like, uh, me and my wife both, um, if we're not driving, we have some issues with motion sickness. So, like, the stiffer the suspension we can get, the better. Like, if I could go to a dealership and have them just sell me a car with cinder block suspension, that'd be perfect.
2: <laughs> See, my wife is the exact opposite. My wife has the same issue with motion sickness, but when she gets in my Mazda, she almost vomits every time she's in it. And really? I like a go-kart, yeah.
0: Yeah, no. It's kind of crazy. Um, some cars are pretty bad. Um... Like the Lexus I, I had, I had to be super careful anytime I drove anywhere with the wife in it because she's just sitting in the back, just her eyes are closed, she's breathing a little heavy. I'm like, y'all right? She's like, I'm good, just get us to where we're going. <laughs> so
1: yeah. Well, Christian, we hear that uh, you have a pretty enviable
0: um, weekly wheels this week.
2: Yeah, I got yeah. a bit of an unfortunate challenge here.
0: Oh, I mean, it's just this little thing I've got to spend some time in. I don't think you guys will be that interested in it. But um, it was a 2014 Porsche Cayman S. Oh, forget um, it. <laughs> don't want to talk uh, about it. We, we hate you right now, just to let you know. It's no With, wonder
2: you say well, that our cars aren't don't handle well enough. We're talking about EcoBoxes. You're out here driving a Cayman S. Hey,
0: hell? hey, I own a Golf, and my Golf will handily trump either of your EcoBoxes around the corner. I don't have to have a Porsche to handle quickly, but anyways, yes, I was given the keys to a Porsche Cayman S. Um, it was pretty decked out, actually. Um, the total price on that car was eighty-six thousand, I believe, which, um, considering the Cayman S starts at about sixty-four, is a huge, huge jump. Um, but um, a lot of the options were really awesome. So, like, I had the Porsche torque vectoring control, so it gives you uh, rear-wheel torque torque vectoring in the uh, corners to help Im- improve handling. I had the Sport Chrono package, which improves shift, shift times, gives you the Sport Plus mode and all that. And uh, the Sport Plus mode has the best integration of a throttle blip that I have ever gotten a chance to play with. Um, so it was a manual transmission and one of the first big companies to really push this was Nissan with the 370Z and they had the rev matching where you would go to downshift and it would automatically throttle up the engine for you. But the Nissan system's a little bit rough just when you pull it out of gear and go to move down it just sort of revs up to a certain range. The Porsche, because they're German, is extremely precise and it doesn't matter what speed I was going and what gear I was going to, when you went to slot it into the gear and you could almost feel it there's like a small switch in the in the mechanism, that when you go to slot it into a, a gear, the Porsche can tell what gear you're in and what your speed is, and it'll give you the exact rev. Nice. Now, so like you, yeah. And then it's like you could you could even hold it. Like you could start to slide it halfway into third third gear, and it would swing you up to you know 6,800 RPMs. And as your speed slowed, you could watch the tack just slowly drop while it was holding the exact rev that you needed for that exact speed so as soon as you kicked off the clutch you were moving and it was super smooth that's really sweet yeah like i mean some... 9 times out of 10 i would prefer to fumble with my terrible throttle lift down downshifts myself but um i was trying to drive down the blue ridge parkway in pretty rainy terrible weather in fog at night and um having one less thing to think about made life a little easier <laughs>
1: That's I'm, nice. all, I'm all
2: for all that all that technology, but much like the whole start stop renaissance we're seeing now where all these engines are getting start stop technology, what happens when this stuff breaks? You know, what happens when that throttle blip breaks and suddenly it redlines the engine for no reason whatsoever? It's and that's like some of the things you have to look at whenever you're moving forward with this car when it tacks over hundred thousand miles. Now you have this stuff you gotta worry about. In <laughs> German engineering it's gonna cost you five thousand dollars to take it to Porsche and say, what's wrong with it?
0: Ah, but das German. I guarantee you, if it fails, it'll fail the other way. The throttle blip will just stop working.
2: Now that's what I'm curious about. If they actually have a failsafe, where if it where if it senses that the system's failing, it just shuts it down automatically.
0: I bet you all the money in the world that it is set with a failsafe. Um, my old, so I have an '84 Porsche. They were building fail-safes in then. The headlight motor actually has a knob on the back that operates the motor for if you don't have battery power or if the motor dies, you can twist the knob, and it will operate the headlights. Well,
2: so nice. did my 1986 Nissan Pulsar. <laughs> did
0: it, well, but did it, did, it, did it have all those fail-safes? Fail like, well, no, I'm talking the, about the
2: pop-up lights.
0: No, this was on the actual headlight motor. So like you mm-hmm. could open up the hood, and if the headlight motor had died, there was a special uh, knob on the back of the motor that you could twist, and it would... Yeah. operate all the motors for you and yeah. everything on that car that i've had to fix has a fail safe which has made it really hard to fix things because sometimes both of those have failed because the cars a million years old <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah my Nissan my Nissan had that the uh, there's a little screw on the back of the uh, back of the motor you just took to a screwdriver and screwed in and the light popped up manually
0: oh this was like a big chunky like hand operated knob it was like oh, yeah, oh look is- at that <laughs> Which I did almost break the first time I was in there because I'm like, what does this thing do? And I was like <laughs> leaning on because it's right by the headlight motor. So like, I have one hand on the headlight that's closed, and I'm trying to twist this thing. I'm like, what's that weird noise? <laughs> <laughs> just just me breaking Here's my one car. But uh, yeah. So uh, the the Cayman S um. I'm a little sad. I only had it for two days instead of a normal week loaner like like we usually get. It was just a two day trip. I had it for a very specific reason. I took it to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, to go see an exhibit that Porsche was having at the North Carolina Museum of Art called Porsche Design. It was a couple of their old old cars that they had and looked at you know their design trends from the very first Porsche up to some of the newest ones, and uh, like it was a fun trip, but. Everyone hates you when you're driving a Porsche. Like, everyone. Well, of course everybody wants to drive the
2: Porsche. Of course they're going to hate you. I hate you for driving it. But, Quite like,
0: I mean, you only ever got two reactions. You'd have someone who came flying up next to you and would, like, wave and be like, yeah, cool Porsche. And they're like, us. And then everyone else gave you the freaking stink eye all the time.
2: Well, first of all, the guy that comes and goes, yeah, Porsche. He's disguising his hatred. He inside, deep down in his heart, he's like, you... Mm. Now, the people that are giving the stink eye, those are the people that are just like, oh, look at this yuppie next to me driving that Porsche. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, like, no one lets you in anywhere. You can't merge onto any sort of busy highway because everyone's like, no, the hell with that guy, and they speed up to block all the spot. I mean, it's, everyone was really mean to me. But no matter how mean they were, all I had to do was downshift, and suddenly I was happy again. We used to come
2: down to Florida. That's just normal driving here. <laughs> yeah, for
0: real. <laughs> yeah, it merge? was. What's merge? <laughs> this this was beyond the standard. People can't drive. Like you could tell, people were actively trying to make your life worse. I've I've never experienced that in any car ever. Like the GTR, no problem with anything like that. Corvettes, people don't do that to Corvettes. The Porsche, though, everyone hated me.
2: <laughs> that is very weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I just you like... You a oh. study on that. That's really... That's,
1: that's intriguing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's just... It's the way things went, but yeah, I, I... I love that car. It made me want to buy one. I wouldn't get the one that they sent me because it was way too expensive. Like, some of the options were terribly stupid. Um, I had... So the car comes based with 19-inch wheels, I had an upgrade to 20-inch wheels, like $2,600. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, and then there's, like, a technology package, which is essentially just the upgraded stereo and the navigation system, which the stereo sounded amazing, probably the best stereo I've ever had in any car that I've driven. But that tech package is ten grand.
1: <coughs> That's, uh, <coughs> yeah, wow.
0: Yeah. Um, so, like, right there, that's um, my almost 90 grand price if you just cut the nice stereo and navigation system, which I hate navigation, built into all cars anyways, and suddenly I'm down to 80 grand. Like, yeah!
2: <laughs> yeah, that's 10 grand for <laughs> this tech package.
0: Yeah, um, that's I went crazy. through and built a car the way I would build it, so I did all the performance options, and I skipped all the other things, like the extra wheels and stuff like that, and the uh, total price came out to, I think, about 74 grand, 75 grand so um, a little bit more than a really nice Corvette like, like if you get a new Stingray with all the options that you would want, it's, they're about equal in price, um, so I actually think the Cayman S is actually a pretty decent deal, if I told you you could get a pretty much performance decked out uh, Porsche for the same price you could get a performance decked out Corvette Like I think that shows a pretty solid level of parity there
1: mm, that's yeah. true I mean I guess you're you're picking what flavor you want. Do you want the American muscle that now can perform or do you want the the Porsche like historical it's a Porsche, you know. I mean there's there's a lot of uh I don't know, brand loyalty in that too.
0: Right. And now I've not driven this the Stingray yet, but I do have to say it has to be really really good to be better than that Porsche. I have Hands down, actually, there's not even a question about it. That Cayman S is the best car I have ever driven. Just yeah.
2: 100%. For as much as I love the Stingray, um, I haven't driven it either, but on paper and, and just by specs and what each car can do, I'd have to give it to the, to the Cayman. I mean, if I had yeah. 75 grand, someone said, said here, here's 75,000 bucks, but you can only pick these two cars, I'd have to say Cayman all the way.
0: Okay. And, I mean, it's a lot of it wasn't even stuff you could do on paper. Like, it was just one of those cars that felt good all the time. Like, when I wasn't beating the hell out of it, it was relatively quiet. The seats were nice and comfortable. Um, it was easy to drive. But then, anytime I really wanted to, I could just sort of look down at the throttle pedal, and I'm, you know, Mach 7 down whatever back road I'm on. And that's, the car just it. took it in stride. I mean, it was just like, whatever. Um, yeah. I had a friend who explained to me a pretty interesting way to talk about the car. He said, it's the world's best yes man. It just always says yes. Do you want to be coddled and taken to work this morning at a nice leisurely pace? Yes sir, we can do that. Would you like to take that corner at 117 miles an hour? Yes sir, we can do that. Do you want to blitz this car from stoplight to stoplight? Yes sir, we can do that. Do you want to just roll up and look like a million dollars as you're going to dinner tonight with your wife? Yes sir, we can do that. It's just sort of yes, sir, everything,
2: and yeah, that's exactly what Porsche is all about nowadays.
1: So that, that yeah, is a pretty good explanation. I really like that. I think that's uh, that's yeah. that's. Fair. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, he was like, it's it's just the world's it's it's the yes man of cars. So, um, dear Porsche, I love you. Thank you. All it's right. But let's let's talk about some other Porsche, Porsche news. Let's move on into the actual news portion of the show today. Um, so we talked last week about the new GTS model, uh, Cayman and Boxster, and I was like, yay, more powerful ones. And now we have a new report that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around a little bit, But um, one of the heads over at Porsche USA has said that the next Cayman and the next Boxster are going to be powered by four four four-cylinder engines, which is an obvious choice. Everyone's moving down in cylinder size for emissions and stuff like that. But he said they're looking at power outputs of up to 400 horsepower. Justin, what do you think about a 400-horsepower four-cylinder Boxster? Too much power. (laughs) 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 Perfect answer. Thank okay. you so much for setting um, me up
2: with that nice, big, fat softball. But anyways,
0: Justin, o- I will mute your mic. Oh, come on. <laughs> I will mute you.
2: <laughs> but no, um, 400 horsepower is an insane number out of a four-banger. I mean, if it's a track car, that's cool because it's set to be rebuilt after every other race. Um, but in a road-going car, even when the CLA 45 AMG came out, I was like, oof. That's a lot of power of a little four cylinder. So to push that up to 395 400 that's insane. You're getting into race car territory that it starts making me question how reliable can these things be down the road. Not that you necessarily buy a Porsche for reliability, but down the road what's the what are the consequences of all this force induction and pushing however many psi it's going to throw into the uh, into the combustion chamber?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and, um, you know, I mean, Porsches, I mean, the, the resale value on those are tremendous, um, and you can't buy a Porsche that doesn't run. Christian did, but, um, you yeah, know, I mean, they're... It ran,
0: it ran when I bought it.
1: <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is the major concern here, too, and I think the other thing we're looking at is the Cayman getting a little too close to the 911, and perhaps maybe that's why they're dropping down to the four-cylinder idea, Um, Christian, what do you think about that?
0: Well, so that's what I think is really exciting about this, because one of two things is happening. Either the new 911 is going to be super duper just bonkers with power because the 911 can't be slower than a Cayman, or they're finally letting the Cayman have the legs to really develop itself and become the car that I know can be better than a 911. Um, so I want to see which way they go with that. Either way is a good thing for us. We either get an even better 911, or we finally let us get the car that we know the Cayman can be. Well, um,
1: you know, I think that, I mean, the 911 have to get better because you can't have a a cheaper car that performs just the same as a more expensive one. So, I mean, for me, I think they're going to have to make the Cayman, you know, yeah, it's, you know, 395 horsepower, but obviously the 911 is going to have to, like, you know, a lot of power in order to outperform this in order for people to go ahead and fork over the extra dota to to buy the 911 not to mention the prestige of the 911 name
2: i totally agree there's absolutely no way they're going to say okay Cayman, you go ahead and be just as good as the 911 and expect the 911 to sell as well as it it still does to this day the 911 is their staple car that's their their bread and butter right there that's that's what everybody wants. That's a legend. Um, yeah, you have the 918 above it. So, but there's still no way that they're going to let that Cayman get anywhere close to the Porsche. Or so, or the 911. So, uh, they have to be pushing that 911 to new levels.
1: Um, yeah, and I think the sure. Cayman is still the Cayman is still kind of getting over that poor man's Porsche um, image as well. So, I think you know, even even still, I, I, it's got to be slotted under the 911.
0: Well, so I think you both have. Fairly solid points, but I also think, like always, they're both wrong. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, this three hundred and ninety-five here, man, right? Well, but obviously, this three hundred and ninety-five horsepower Porsche is not, or Boxer is not going to be the only one they sell. It's going to be multiple tiers. So, and this goes back to my either the nine eleven is going to get really, really good, or they're finally letting the Cayman grow because there's nothing that says the Cayman has to be cheaper than the 911. There could be a 350 or 360-horsepower 911, and the 400-horsepower Cayman could be slightly more expensive. Like, they could actually start to tier them in that direction and acknowledge that the Cayman is the can achieve the level of performance that the, that the 911 can, which is mostly due to its engine structure and the fact that it's a mid-engine car versus a rear-engine car, so it has the better sure. weight the weight balance. So I think that that's what we're, we're going to see, is either they're going to allow there to be at least one model that is more expensive than a 911 and is just priced at a higher tier. I mean, so think about the new Camaro, right? They now have a Camaro that costs more than a Corvette. It has the performance to demand that price, so that's what I think Porsche might be doing with the Cayman is they might be allowing that model, the Cayman and the Boxer, they might be allowing that model to be positioned one step above a lower end 911.
2: Yeah, that's that's a fair argument. I think yeah, valid point and gives people more more options. Would you prefer the rear engine or the mid? That's that's bottom line right there. <clears throat>
0: Right, and I still think that Porsche is going to keep, like, we're always going to have the nine the 911 Turbo, and that's always going to be faster than any Cayman they make, so they're still going to keep that sort of tiered level where the best 911 is always still the best car, but like I said, I'm, I'm happy to see that it looks like they're at least going to let that Cayman family develop and get better. And as for engine size, you said you were worried about, you know, how much horsepower is coming out of that engine, They just said four-cylinder. They didn't say how big of a four-cylinder. You know, everyone assumes something like 1.8 liters, 2 liters, something like that. But they could push that up to 2.4, 2.6 liters. And once we start to get there, that 400 horsepower number isn't quite as exciting. That is true. I mean, um, in the 968, which is the car that came after the 944, it had a four-cylinder. It was three liters. So it's a big four banger. (laughs) I, 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 I. If I'm wrong, the internet will obviously let me know. But I do think that that is the largest production four four cylinder ever made. Yeah. So that's about right. But um, we have you know, fun sports sports cars. Um, we're actually getting a lot of really good cars this this year. Like this seems like it's going to be a really good good year for cars in in general. You know, we just had the P1 come out. Um, we've got the nine one eight that just came out, and next year we're getting the Alpha Four C, um, which that I'm very excited about. But then we got some super cool news that I think Mark wanted to talk about. Where um, annual updates for the Four C is, is that is that correct, Mark? Yeah, that's kind of what we're hearing from Alpha. Um, you know,
1: apparently what they're going to do is every year they're going to come out with something better and new and and kind of different to keep the the brand alive. Um, obviously we've gotten the first update uh we've gone from the four c to the four c spider um chopped the roof off something i mean we definitely got uh you know the media's got the attention um so i mean it's um it's really cool that i mean they're and they they planned it out like this too so i mean it's um it's very exciting the thing that we're looking forward to the most though i think is a souped up r s version which hopefully comes with more power uh it's a little bit better handling um and you know obviously more fun, so.
0: What kind of power output do you think they'll try and target for that RS?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I don't know. Justin, what do you think on that one? Because, I mean, it's – I
2: mean, really
1: – You can't outpower it.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be too much more. You're probably going to be eh, 30, 35 horsepower more, maybe. What I think what it's mostly going to focus on is, is handling. And get suspension upgrades, you know, wider rims, wider tires, maybe yeah. some carbon fiber work, um, lightening it up, get, making it more track ready. Because in terms of power, I don't think you really need much more out of the four
1: C. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, right now it's it's got a 1.8 liter uh, turbocharged inline four. It's it's making roughly 240 horsepower. Um, you know, it would be really cool if you bumped it up to 300. I mean, that's not that's not an exorbitant amount. Um, you know, 60 horsepower bump, that would be enough to. I think uh you know really- it would it would take care of that four point five seconds here to sixty time as well, and get it closer to four seconds or even three and a half
2: yeah, three hundred sounds a good number, but that's that's a that's a lot of power in that a little tiny car um but what's th- that, that's... Justin? Are
0: you worried about too much hmm. power?
2: I didn't say it was too much. So that's a lot of power in that car. And really the main focus of the 4C is its trackability. When you pump this thing up to 300 horsepower, like Christian's favorite thing, is it doable on the track? Can you really take this thing and fling around a track at 300 horsepower? Yeah. When um, they start bumping up that horsepower, they, of course, have to increase the torque. Once you get that to that certain point, then you start breaking loose when you're coming through the turns. When you're pulling out of the turn, it could break loose.
1: Yeah, but so there's that, the wider tires too.
2: Exactly, but there's a real delicate balance you have to play with there.
0: Right, and actually, I think power is probably the only way they can go with this. I mean, the car is mostly carbon fiber to begin with. Like, I don't know how much weight savings there is to be had in that in that thing. I mean, I mean that's, that's been, like, weighed, the big part about it is the weight.
1: Pounds.
0: Yeah, it only weighs yeah. 1,900 pounds. I mean, that's crazy. That's, what, so I think an NC Miata, I think, is about 1,850? So, I mean, that's like, it's, there. right, it's, so we're, we're looking at a car that's close to Miata weight, with a mid-engine, and 240 horsepower. I mean, like, trying to cut weight too much more than that, and the car will just float away in the wind.
2: Yeah, maybe not so much weight savings. More in the suspension, I think. It's going to be wider tires, better suspension, things like that. They're going to tighten it all up a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's going to be the main focus if they jump up to an RS model.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I mean, they're setting the bar pretty high coming from the 4C Coupe to the 4C Spider in the first year of the annual update. So I mean, it's gonna be kind of uh, very interesting to see what they're gonna do for next year. Yeah, and um, we may, you know, we may very well just see
2: special editions. Um, we don't know what Alpha's plan really is. Um, we know car makers tell us a mile when they give us an inch. Um, so they may very well just be hyping up for some just special editions, different different paint schemes, different <laughs> interiors, things like that.
0: Look, we have red paint. You had, <laughs> you had red paint last year. But this is It's red or red? This is a
1: different red, guys.
0: It's and new it red, a very great, good red.
1: It'll have some great Italian name too.
2: Yeah, they're gonna they might just do that. There may be nothing on the horizon for us to care about. Well. This
0: one has stripe. Stripe ten horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> more stickers equal more power. That's right. <laughs> um you know, more power is kind of a, a good place to go. Um, there are a lot of companies out there that make their living off of giving more cars way more power. One of the most famous for that right now is Hennessy Motorsports done by John Hennessy down in Texas, and uh, they've just announced a special edition of one of 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 one of their cars. Justin, do you have some info on that for me?
2: Yeah, and um, unfortunately, this is, again, talk a mile, give an inch. It is the world's fastest edition Hennessy Venom GT, which a Venom GT is one of my favorite cars albeit it's a tuner car because it's just a Lotus with a different engine. Um, but all they did was painted it white, threw a couple red and blue stripes down the middle of it, and said, hey, guys, special edition. Um, it's cool because, yeah, it's, um, it's them acknowledging the world record, which isn't really a world record because of the little silly little rules like the 30 productions and the back-and-forth lap they have to do. Um, but it's cool they're acknowledging it and saying, hey, even though uh, Guinness won't recognize our record, we're still going to call it a record. You know, 270.49 miles per hour is a big deal. Um, it thumped the Bugatti, which is awesome to see it coming from an American car. Um, so it's nice to see them rolling out this special edition. Uh, now, 1.25 million dollars—that's
1: uh, a, that's lot a of payments.
2: That's a whole lot of payments. Um, yeah, that's that's a little much, I think, in my opinion. Um, but you are getting, whatever, 1,300 horsepower and all kind of good stuff. They haven't released anything about what's going on inside, um, so there may be some other goodies going on inside. I still have to contact uh, John Hennessy. I email him back and forth every now and again. So i got to contact him and see if maybe there's something new. He can tell me about the interior, but he's pretty secretive, so he probably won't tell me much. But I'm going to email him here today and ask him about it.
0: <clears throat> well, here's here's what I have to say about the price. Um, there's only going to be what five of these?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think the number's five, if I remember correctly.
0: So, if five people will pay that, it's not too much money.
2: That is true, and five people will pay it. Uh, that's for sure. I guarantee you, five people will pay that. I'm yeah. just wishing. I am just wishing that Hennessy would say, "Okay, guys, let's build one more car. Let's call Kennedy Space Center again. Let's do a down and back and get this thing right." They actually had a down and back scheduled. Um, but what happened was there were too, many, too high of crosswinds that they couldn't do a back lap. They did the lap going across, the crosswinds picked up, and they couldn't do the, the, uh, the return trip. Uh, and then shortly after that, they had some kind of landing or launch going on, and they couldn't reschedule.
0: Yeah, NASA so, kicked them off.
2: Yeah, so it still may happen. The down and back still may happen. They're talking to NASA, trying to figure it out. Now all they need to do is get that one more car, one more car. Maybe it's a WC, the WCE edition. Maybe they're going to build these five cars, and maybe there will be five additional that will put it up above that uh, production car roll uh, number they need to be at.
0: Maybe now I'm 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 sort of in the air about this whole record thing, uh, partially because I have a record that Guinness won't verify, and that makes me angry. And secondly, because I don't know if they actually got the record. Um, so yeah, the speed was what like 273 or something like 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 I, that.
2: Two seventy point four nine with some RPMs left to go. It
0: was it was so it was two seventy point four nine.
2: Yeah, two seventy point four nine with with some revs to go.
0: So and again, I would have to double check my numbers, but I'm pretty sure that uh, when Bugatti set its record with the Super Sports, uh, one direction of their run was like two hundred and sixty nine miles an hour. So that means that Hennessy's only got a mile or a mile and a half on them. And if the wind was going the right direction, I could see how a lot of people are like, well, do they really have the record without that down and back? Because once they come back against the wind that carried them there, they may drop below the mark that Bugatti set. So that's the only thing I have an issue with for the whole thing is, you know, Guinness has its rules for a reason, which I think are stupid because I have a record that isn't Guinness certified because of them. Uh, But also that number is so close to a number that Bugatti set that I'm not ready to just be like, yes, Hennessy, it's yours.
1: I have yeah, to but... ask the question that everyone's thinking, Christian. What what is your record that I don't want to know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, um, it was so Audi's Truth and Forty Eight trip. I was part of Audi's diesel fuel fuel economy run, where we did forty eight hours from LA to New York while beating the EPA fuel economy. Um, Audi was ready to fork out the ungodly amount of money that it was that Guinness was going to charge to get this record done, but one of Guinness's rules is they won't certify a record that has a speed portion to it. So we were trying to beat a time target, and that encourages us to speed and break laws and be dangerous so they won't verify it. Oh. So, yes, well, we're that was only. Lot... Go ahead.
1: That was a lot more PG than I figured it was going
0: to be. Yeah, no, no, it, it's, it's, it's nothing crazy, but when I first got the phone call that's like, we're going to do this trip, I was really excited that hanging on my wall back here behind me I was going to have this little plaque that said Guinness World Record holder Christian Moe for you know doing this Truth in 48 trip. And I was like, Yay! You know, that's one of my bucket list items, to be a Guinness World Record holder. And I'm a record holder, but not a Guinness one. So, whatever. Close enough. Right. Beggars can't be choosers, right? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know what? Uh, Let's let's move on to more PR stunts. uh, Because... it, all in all, that Audi trip was more or less a PR stunt. Super fun, proved a lot as far as I'm concerned, but it was still a PR stunt. Um, but Ford's got one coming pretty pretty soon. Mark, you want to talk, talk to me about that? Yeah, this is really cool.
1: Um, you know, we all know that the next generation uh, Ford Mustang is coming out. Um, when the Mustang first came out uh, in 67, um, or no, 60, 65 it was, uh, that the year, uh, for the 66 model year, um, Ford took the Mustang and put it on top of the Empire State Building. Um, It was an impressive feat, Um, got a lot of press generation. Uh, We have a really cool picture of it on the website. Uh, But anyway, Ford is going to recreate that with a new 2015 Mustang. And um, they're kind of running into uh, the same problem they had 50 years ago of how to get the car on the roof. Um, because they don't have a crane that would breach it, uh, and they can't do a helicopter drop because of the, uh, the proximity of the uh, Empire State Building spire that sticks up. So what they're going to have to do is literally hack the car into three sections, crate it up, and lift it through the elevators, and then reassemble the entire car within, like, five hours on the roof uh, for the, the showing. And uh, it's going to be up there for, like, I think, 52 hours total while the uh, New York auto show is going on. So it's going to be a pretty impressive PR stunt. Um, It's kind of a question of, I wonder how many people are actually going to be able to go up there and view it in that short of time. But, you know, I'm sure the media will cover it and uh, they'll get a lot of um, publicity out of it. Uh, It's just really cool.
0: I think it is really cool. And I can also tell you that they funnel a ton of people to the top of that building and back down every single day. You'd be kind of surprised how many thousands of people will, will get a chance to see that car. Well, that's that's good for Ford because I'm sure they're spending a crap ton of money on this.
2: I was just so, going to ask. I wonder how much this is setting them back.
1: Yeah, and I can only hope they're using a pre-production like test mule or something for this. They don't. They're not hacking up a production uh, 2015 Mustang.
0: Right. I was I was going to say that too. I'm like, so this isn't going to run, right? Like, no, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> There's no
1: way. <laughs> I couldn't imagine uh, reattaching fuel lines from one end of the car to the other. Uh, you know, within five hours. So.
0: Well, but I mean, like, how are they? Hacking it, like obviously they're not just going to take like a concrete saw and just cut it into three pieces and duct tape it together. <laughs> I know, right? So that's what I would do. Imagine, it, but... Yeah. Well, what I
1: imagine, um, and they really didn't specify this in their press release. I would imagine they're going to take the body panels off and then uh, start hacking away at the the unibody frame. Uh, so you would have, you know, the front clip, the rear clip, and then uh, the center section with the doors and everything. Um, so I mean probably somehow bolt the Unibody together and then, you know, attach the fenders and the doors, and boom, it's it looks like it's a one-piece car.
0: Do you think they'll leave the interior in when they do that? That's a good question. I With, mean, surely they
1: would because they have such limited time to put it together. I'm not sure why this time limit is imposed, but still it's there. It's literally like five hours they have to reassemble the entire car.
0: So. Probably because they're going to have to shut the elevators down to keep people from going up there for five hours, and so... The Empire State Building was like, look, we're gonna lose X amount of money. You get this much time at the end, and you gotta pay us back.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean that that that's probably the possibility. So, but it, it's just a really cool PR stunt from Ford, um, celebrating a 50-year anniversary that you know those really don't come through very often. So I think they're doing it right by kind of uh, paying homage to the original car, especially since the Mustang has so many retro um, keys to it to begin with.
0: Yeah. No. Okay. I could rock that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of sad they're going to kill a car to do it, though. Yeah, I, I can only hope it's a pre-production model. That would
1: get crushed anyway.
2: Yeah, it has to be something that they're not planning on, that they never had any plans on ever running. It's probably a, a shell of some sort that's our, like you said, a pre-production mule. There's no way they're going to take one that just rolled off the the production line and go, okay, guys, take the saws all to it.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Marketing <laughs> budget. So
1: <laughs> that would be a sad day.
0: That's will check the engine, thing. guys.
2: That reminds me of many years ago. My dad had an old Monza, the old uh, hatchback Monza from the Chevy. Chevy? Yeah, Chevy Monza. <laughs> oh my and, gosh! Uh, it broke down. Well, he had to get rid of it, and all they had was a big pickup truck. So, in order to get this car on the back of a big pickup truck, they had a nice come along on it. You know, the old ratcheting style come along. Um, he had to hack the car in half. I was all of about six years old, I think. I come downstairs to <laughs> taking the saws all straight across the top of the, 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 the poor Monza. And then they put it on the back the trunk of the ratchet and crack, 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 up the back it goes.
1: Wow. And That's... then
2: for about uh, a week, because he only got one half to the junkyard that day, half of a Chevy Monza was sitting in our garage.
0: <laughs> Let's I... be honest. The car was probably worth more cut in half than it was together.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: That's still pretty cool, though.
2: The Chevy Monza is a cool sleeper, though. You have to admit, like, an early or late 70s Chevy Monza hatchback, those are really cool sleepers, especially if you get, like, the
1: puke green one.
0: I've seen some people put some hefty motors inside those cars before. You know, I think
1: think Motor Trends Roadkill, didn't they do the leaf blower Monza? They put leaf blowers in the back and (laughs) turbocharged the car. Didn't they do that? I was oh, no awesome. idea. I know they did it to some car, but I can't remember. I think it was the Mons, though, but, I mean, that's, um, yeah, they actually made power with leaf blowers. <laughs> wow,
2: if you're going to grenade a car, might as well do it that way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, what I think is interesting is when you have a car that's producing so little power that you can use a leaf blower as a turbocharger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, this is high tech. They use, like, six of them.
2: Well, you just brought up a—you just reminded me of another story. Old Honda Civic, real quick. Old Honda Civic '86. Uh, I was building a bomber car to race in dirt track. Um, I bought the car up this guy. Barely ran. Uh, I was digging through, it, fixing vacuum leaks and everything. And realized there's a vacuum leak in the interior. I'm looking around, searching for this thing. This guy took a mattress inflator, you know, the little crappy one, about yeah, you know, two inches, three inches long, that barely produces any air, and yeah. hooked it into his intake as a turbocharger. What? <laughs> oh it was wonderful
0: I'm going to do it or I'm just going to have a big curly straw that's bolted into my engine that comes into the cabin and I just blow on it as I drive
1: (laughs) I think I remove the heating element out of a hair dryer and just just flick it on man
0: that's awesome on next week's show it's going to be nothing but an hour and a half of us talking about terrible turbocharging ideas I hope you guys tune in and enjoy
1: (laughs) special (laughs) edition episode 5
0: oh man um, all right, let's 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 move on to another piece of of news here. Um, we have a report that Renault and Caterham they were going to team up to make some awesome things, and now apparently Caterham said something bad about Renault's mom, and now they're breaking up. Oh, Justin, can you give me some more info?
2: Yes, rest in peace, Renault Caterham. Ah. Uh, I guess there are some reports earlier, none of this is confirmed, uh, reached out to Caterham, of course, they have no comment on it. Uh, there are some reports a few weeks back um, that Caterham was a little bit ticked off that they signed off on a design deal, Renault showed it to customers, and customers said, no way, we won't buy that. So Renault said, okay, we're going to scrap this whole thing. Sorry, you already started working on the underpinnings, Caterham. We're going to scrap the entire thing and start fresh. Uh, Caterham didn't like that very much and there was apparently a little bit of a a rift going on there. Apparently that rift has turned into a complete separation as according to reports I'm reading the deal is completely off. Um, In Caterham split uh, there's no details on whether the two will continue producing their separate cars but the report does claim that they're still on schedule. Um, My best Guess is that Caterham is going to take its design and make it fit their lineup a little, little bit better because Caterham has no reason for a sports car like they were building. Uh, Caterham is known for lightweight, two-seat, no-top cars. Uh, Renault, I'm assuming, is going to just say, okay, we're going to scrap it all together because I just don't think the demand is there for Renault to build anything like that. Um, I think that was more of the issue than customer feedback on the design in the first place. I think they were blowing a little bit of smoke up Caterham's behind when they said it was uh, was customers not liking the design. It was more demand. So probably we're going to see Renault just go away and uh, Caterham <clears throat> modify the design to fit their lineup a little better.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't that customers didn't like it. It was that enough customers didn't want it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's more of what it
0: was. <clears throat> Which, I mean, could kind of be the same thing.
2: Uh, Kind of, but it's a little depressing, you know. We were all excited for Alpine to come back, and now it's just kind of a buzzkill. It's like, hey, guys, look, we have this. Uh, Never mind. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but the big thing is, you know, when they released the, uh, the concept Alpine, it was awesome. I mean, I fell in love with it. I don't know anybody that did not like its design. So how much did they change that to the point that people said, no, we don't want that car?
0: Uh, just because we think it's a cool design and we like it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to sell well, especially depending on what engines they're going to put in and how they're going to price it and that sort of thing. You know, like um the 4C, we all think it's a great car. If they had come out and been like, this is going to be $110,000, everyone just would have laughed, and that would have been the end of it. So, there, you know, there's a lot of details we don't have, Um, so this story is one of those sort of, weird, take it with a grain of salt, but I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that until we get all of the details, this story will never really be fleshed out.
2: Yeah, there's definitely some funny stuff going on that we don't know yet. Um, so, yeah, and you're absolutely right about loving the design. It may not sell well. Look at the Viper. I fell in love with it. Most journalists
1: raved about it, but, oh, yeah. yeah, it's falling flat on its face. And that's so sad, too. I mean, you know, the design is it's proven, too. I mean, the, the Viper's been on sale for how long? Like, since, what, 95? Yeah. and Yeah. Now they're having a close production because it's or stay off production because they got more of them than they can
0: sell. So it's, you know. Yeah, but the Viper's never been a huge seller. Like, um, well, I mean, the
1: the vet sells what twice as many of them, but it's just, no,
0: no. I think like ten times as many. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. think
1: that's a little closer.
0: <laughs> yeah, like the vet, I think, is on track to sell fifty or sixty thousand this this year. Um, yeah, I would imagine. And I think like the best year Viper's probably ever had has been five or six thousand. Yeah, that's sad. But I mean that's that's how Chrysler and SRT, like that's how the car has always been designed and been built. And like that's always been kind of the idea behind it is it's a little meaner, a little faster, a little more crazy, uh, it's more exclusive. It's just it plays in a different kind of ball field, even though people try and put them in the same league because they're both these big American muscle cars sort of sort of things. Um they're built for very different different reasons. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough.
2: But yeah, so that's about it. The you know the Renault Cunningham's done. Um, so it sucks, but that's the truth of the matter. Unfortunately, it happens a lot with these little team ups that get together and it all looks great, and then one of them ticks off the other one, and away it goes.
0: Susie, your new haircut's terrible. I'm leaving you. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about something that's way less depressing and much more exciting. Um, this is my favorite news story of the day, probably. Um, we just got spy shots of a Volkswagen Golf R wagon. Um, so it's a standard, from the best we can tell, Golf R, 300 you know, plus horsepower, all-wheel drive, turbocharged monster, but it's got extra space in the back, so if you have a really big dog, there you go. Um, it's it's getting really like that's close to my perfect idea of of a car if I'm really honest.
1: Yeah, you know I, when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, Christian's going to go crazy over this because it's like a it's like a CTSV wagon but Volkswagen form. Right, you know? but
0: but I could maybe <laughs> afford it. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> um, yeah, plus, I mean, well, like, go ahead. I I, I like the all wheel drive nature of it. Like, um. Yeah. I missed my Outback. Having an all-wheel drive wagon was great. Like, we took it camping all the time. And when you have something like that that's not a huge lumbering SUV, you can take it through some places that you might not get a big Jeep or something through. But it still had tons of room in the back. So I could load four people up, throw a bunch of stuff in the back, go off-road to find a nice getaway camping spot. And, like, it was a really practical car. Um, So having that sort of practicality again will be super great but instead of just having that practicality I get the refinement I have in my golf which is I'm sorry bar none especially for the uh, segment the standard golf starts at I think 18 or 19 grand and most of the interior is the same all the way up to the golf R, except for little things like the seats but most of the build quality is exactly the same so for 18 grand you have a car that has a better interior than anything else on the market so I get that level of, in- of interior quality plus I get 300-horsepower turbocharged monster engine with all of the wagon space in the world and all-wheel drive. I mean, it's like a little bit of everything. The only thing that could make it better is if it was like a 300-horsepower diesel engine.
2: (laughs) How awesome. It's completely awesome. When I saw Spy Shots, I was probably the first one to see them. I was amazed because Volkswagen is doing a whole lot of good stuff right now, and this just made me even happier. But it's depressing to know that It's not going to be here. Christian, you can drool all you want. We're not going to see
0: it here in the States, at least for four years. See, at first I thought the same thing, and I I even think I put that in the piece because I I wrote the piece for it that we won't get it in the the States. But Volkswagen's really been kind of pushing the market segments here um, because they understand that there are a lot of markets that are underserved. I mean, they're not going to be huge markets like the diesel market. The diesel market's not a huge market here in the states, but they're the only company that's really pushing lots of diesel cars. Because when you're the only company that makes these cars, you're going to get the only sales for these cars. So I think since Volkswagen still gives us the sport the the Sport Wagon and they still give us you know all these diesel powered cars and they're still trying to hit all these weird market segments, that there's a chance that they may throw it out here. And a lot of that I believe has to do with cost. So like when Cadillac built the CTSV. They knew they weren't going to sell any, but because they had done all of the engineering for all of the cars already with the engine and the suspension and everything, the cost it took them to make the wagon, I believe it was said that they only needed to sell 12. Like, if they sold 12 of those CTSV wagons, they had recouped the cost it took them to develop it. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, That is very true about the VW.
0: Right, because most of the cost is done all this other stuff. And now that Volkswagen using, is using the MQB architecture, which is under Seats and Volkswagens and Audis, I mean, it's underpinning almost everything underneath the size of of, of a Passat. Like, almost everything the Volkswagen's going to make is going to have this plat- platform. So the platform is paid for. Um, the all-wheel drive system is in lots of things. They put that Haldex system in almost everything they make with four-wheel drive, so that's paid paid for. The engine that is already paid paid for because they put it in the Golf R, and that's paid for itself already. So the only thing they have to pay for is the extra manufacturing to put that sort of wagon shape on the Golf, which they're already going to be doing anyways because they have a Golf estate in Europe. So basically, everything should be paid for. They just have to put the parts together. So, yeah, it's just a
1: parts bin car.
0: Yeah. Right. So I think... You know, they shouldn't have to sell more than 100 max to recoup the cost to bring that to the states. So I'm really, really hoping that we might just get this sort of journalist special like the CTSV wagon was or kind of like the uh, sport wagon diesel is. You know, this niche car for a niche market, but they can have enough sales to, re- to recoup the cost. So I'm I'm hoping and I'm praying. Oh, that would be...
2: Awesome. I would be one of the first in line to trade in my Kia for one of those. (laughs) Then I I can actually talk the wife into it. Yeah, baby, it has 300 horsepower, but look at all this space in the back for your groceries.
0: Right. There's all this space. There's four real seats, a nice safety record. Look, all-wheel drive in case it gets snowy and Florida. (laughs) In case we go to the beach. Yeah, yeah, we go to the beach. There you go. So that way we don't get stuck on Daytona. Yeah.
2: But that, that would be excellent, um, and I see your points at the yeah, end. It's pretty much just a parts bin car because everything's there. Uh, yeah. There's no real engineering behind it. It's already engineered. It's just slapping them together. Um, so there is a possibility, um, but I don't know. I don't know because the hot hatch, especially five-door hatch market, isn't here, um, and I'm just wondering if Volkswagen might be afraid to even dip its toes in there because no one's touching it.
0: Well, but, so that's, again, that, that goes back to my thing. They're one of the only people doing it. Like, if you want a 300-horsepower hatch, you have to get the Golf R. Like, they're one of the only ones that is still making that sort of five-door hatch shape that you can get with all that power. Now, they did make some sacrifices. Um, like, there are very, very few options here for the, for the U.S. Like, the European Golf R has two or three seat options and lots of interior color options, and you can get the manual or the DSG, and, like, they have all this extra stuff. The American market, you don't get that. It's a black interior... With the standard seats and you get a manual. Those are the only options you have. You know, you can't change those, but that's where they've kept the cost down. So that's since we already have the Golf R, that's what leads me to hope is that it won't be that much money for them to bring it over here. And they're already selling enough Golf R to justify the Golf R. So just maybe, you know, just just somebody wants a bigger one. Me, so I want a bigger
2: yeah. one. <laughs> so yeah. Right, if you're listening, if they, if they get the break-even cost down to one. We have your one buyer, Volkswagen.
0: Volkswagen, (laughs) you have your one buyer. And you'll even get a brand, well, not really brand new, but you'll get a TDI trade-in, which I know Volkswagen loves to get TDI trade-ins because no one ever trades them in. So I've got a red Golf TDI manual two-door, it's awesome. I'll trade that thing in for a Golf R-Wagon. You heard it it here first, people. Breaking news on (laughs) Topspeed.com podcast. Some journalist wants to buy a vehicle that probably won't be sold here.
1: That is breaking
0: news, totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. yeah, talk about that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> yeah. Um that is that is the rest of our news. Um let's go ahead and move on to the questions section. Uh, we actually got a few questions this time, so thank you to everyone who wrote in and commented on the last pod- podcast. Um our first question is from probably gonna say your name wrong, but I'm sorry. It's Rob Doherty, thirty eight. Um, he wanted to know how do we get into this business of testing and reviewing cars and how do we get in to do what we do. Um, but mostly he wanted to know, does do any of us have any interesting stories about it? Because obviously if it was just I went to school and I applied for a job when I got it, that's not really a fun story. So uh, Justin, we'll let you go first.
2: Well, how I got into the biz, uh, well, I uh, started back with my dad. I was like five years old when he bought his 57 Chevy Um, And I was with him beside the car with my little plastic uh, pedal car up on jack stands under there trying to fix the engine that didn't exist in my pedal car. Um, Started there and just kept going. Bought my first car at 16, my old IROC Z28. (laughs) Restored it myself with my dad's help. Uh, I got into this biz kind of on a whim. Uh, My job stunk. Um, I was working in the shops managing a bunch of uh, crybaby mechanics. That's all mechanics know how to do is cry cry and fix cars, and I got tired of it, and I had to move overseas with my wife, so I needed something I could do from home, and uh, somehow fell into this as a temporary job and found that I was actually somewhat good at it, Um, and then just kept moving on and moving on and ended up here at top speed. Uh, Started as a writer, and now I'm the editor-in-chief, and never, ever, ever went to school for this. I actually went to school for broadcasting.
0: Which is why he's terrible at the podcast.
2: Yes, I absolutely suck at this. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) All
0: right, Mark, you next. Oh, man. Well, um, I'm
1: kind of the same way. I was with my dad just tinkering on cars as a little kid. Um, I had subscriptions to pretty much every magazine possible, you know, Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Road and Track, Truck Trend. If it was there, I had subscriptions to it. Um, And that was my reading material as a kid. Always wanted to do it. Uh, Figured out in high school that they actually have, um, you know, a a degree for that. It's called journalism. So I went for that. Kind of got sidetracked after I graduated, though. I taught school for a little bit in fourth grade. Uh, And then push came to shove, things happened, and here I am. So, yeah. So so they permit you around children? Say what? They permit you around children? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, lots of them. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a pretty nice guy. So, Just because he uh, has a
0: beard doesn't mean he's a rapist.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's not the beard. It's the 1975
2: a van out back that I'm scared about.
1: <laughs> it has windows in it, man. Come on. It has
2: one yeah.
0: window. You drive <laughs> looking through it. That doesn't count.
1: No, it has
2: the one big bubble window in the back, too. Don't forget about that.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this
1: is completely not true. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I... Um, you know, I, uh, I did have a job as a, uh, I guess, a mechanic in a garage for a little bit, got my hands dirty. I, I, I like doing that sort of stuff, but yeah, it definitely wasn't for me, um, and a good friend of mine recommended that I start writing for a website, and I contacted them, got into it, wrote uh, for them for a little bit, and then uh, I got uh, headhunted for Top Speed, and uh, been writing here since 1st first of, first of uh, September, I think. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's
0: about right. Wow. So, uh, so I have so I I'm going to have the most interesting story here today. Uh, that's strange. <laughs> I really didn't expect to because I didn't think my story was that great, but um neither was your guy's. <laughs> <laughs> I there,
1: I left a lot of detail out to save uh time and and
0: and pity. So Rob, I'm sorry. Um we're not that interesting. But thank you for listening. Um, well, I, I'm i not from a car family. Um, my dad used to own a lot of cool cars when he was young, but that's just because he was young and it was like the 60s or 70s or whatever, and, you know, you bought cool cars, and that was just, like, how it worked. But um, no one in my family has ever been really big into cars. Um, and then I saw – I was about 12 or 13. Um, we went to a little local car show thing, and there was a 1971 Corvette LT1 Stingray coupe with oh, – nice. um, Elkhart green paint. And the moment I saw that car, I was like, that is everything I want in my life. That one thing. Um, So that is my dream car. If anybody likes this and wants to donate a vehicle, please donate a 1971 Corvette in Elkhart green. It doesn't have to have the 454 engine or anything like that. I can take care of that.
1: But a 71
0: Elkhart green Corvette.
1: I do have to say, Christian, uh, the, uh, the car that I was wrenching on with my dad was a 71 Corvette
0: with the 454. But was it green? Uh, it was silver. See, almost almost all of them are silver, black, or red. The green is super rare, and they only made the actual Elkhart green color that I like for 71 and 72, so it's stupid hard yeah. to find one. Anyways, that's a completely different area. But it's like, that was the car that I saw, and that made me, like, cars right there. And uh, I started with magazines. I had subscriptions to all of the big magazines for... Years and years and years. Um, those do you still have them? No. Um, most of them went into boxes when I moved out for college and were in the basement, and then a basement flood trashed most of them. So, oh, that's sad. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't have that many. But um, I didn't go to school for this either. I was actually going to school to, to be a, n- a nurse. I was going to be an RN. I, I went to school as an, a nursing major. Um, and while trying to go through school and working in hospitals, I was looking for some extra stuff to do with my time. And um, I like shows like Top Gear, and um, one of my goals in life is to be a race car driver, a rock star, and an astronaut. So I thought, how am I going to make that happen? I'll be an auto journalist. Um, So I started my own website on WordPress and was just banging out super terrible, like literally the worst things you've ever read in your entire life. I have no idea how anybody ever hired me, but that's what I used to write, and I did that for about a year and a half, and... um, then I found out that there's a big-name journalist that actually lives not too far from me, and I went to do an interview with him. I called his boss, and I'm like, I want to meet this guy and do an interview because my thought was having an interview with a big-name journalist will give my site some credibility, right? Even though everything on the site was terrible. um, I had just done my first car review, uh, the local Ford dealership here, um, Lance Cunningham Ford. Thank you, guys. They, I called, and I'm like, can I drive a used Mustang? Because they happened to have, this was in 2011, I think, or 2012. They, Yeah, it was 20, it was, no, crap, it was 2010. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, It was 20, 2010, and they happened to have a used 2010 on the lot with like 1,000 miles on it. And I'm like, I want to drive your used 2010, but, you know, a couple miles on it, and I want to try and do a quick, a quick road test review of this car. And I showed up, and the guy was really cool about it. He's like, here's a brand new one let's go for a drive. We were out for like two and a half hours, just caning on this brand new car. And I'm like, why are we doing this? He goes, they're there to sell and they're there to test drive and we're here. So I put you in the car, have fun. Um, so I did that. And then, um, I met, uh, my friend and I just did an interview and that's sort of where it started. And, um, I got a job offer to do, um, some general stuff doing like advertisement copy for, uh, dealerships and, and, and things like that. No byline, so no one knew what my name was, but I had this reference. And uh, then I started picking up speed. Um, I worked actually at the same site Mark, Mark did for a while. I worked there for about a year before he was brought on. Um, from there, I moved on to a website called Auto Autobytel. And from Autobytel, I moved on to Road and & Track. And then from Road & Track, I moved here to Top Speed. Um, so like, I've had this really strange like bounce-around journey over the last couple of years, and it all started with, because I thought, well, if I could be on a show like Top Gear, I can have enough money to become a rock star or an astronaut, so I should start being an auto journalist. That's literally (laughs) literally how it started. We are dribbling in money. (laughs) The The very first piece I wrote for my website that I made was, this is my dream, I want to become a rock star race car driving astronaut, so I thought, I'll be a journalist first, and once I get famous enough as a journalist, I could be on a show like Top Gear. And then if I'm on a show like Top Gear, I'll be famous enough and have enough money that if I make, like, a CD, even if it's terrible, people will buy it, and I can have at least one concert. And people will come, because I'm that guy on Top Gear, so even if I'm terrible, I'll still be a rock star. And then I'll use all that money and fame to go to space. Whether it be on, like, the Virgin Galactic flight or whatever, I just need to get into space. I don't want to be, like, an astronaut. I mean, going to the moon would be great, but just getting into space would be enough. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to start being an auto-journalist, and I dropped out of nursing school, and now I'm sitting here in front of a microphone talking to people who I've never met.
2: Now, how you made that whole connection is beyond me. <laughs> I <laughs> am completely lost. I'm confused and a little bit worried.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the last five you. years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty special. I, I, I am. Special's
2: a word for it.
0: I <laughs> I am the specialist.
2: <laughs> no, 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 yes, special.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I am the most specialist <laughs> I like that one. That one so it that seems one like we
2: all kind of had similar kind of sort of paths. We started one thing and moved to another and all started at the very, very bottom because I started making, like, $2 a post at some garbage site that I worked up from, you know. So we all kind of started at the bottom and worked our way up, so I think we've all earned it.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it's... Yeah, that's that's one thing about this business. Anyone who's looking to get into it um, for a long time, there is no money in it, like not at all. Even for a lot of the big sites that you guys might might read, like some of the really huge stuff, um, you know, AutoBlog, Jalopnik, things like that. Most of their writers are not full-time writers; they have day jobs because this gig isn't a full-time gig. So, if you're thinking about trying to get into the business with us, just keep that in mind. If you quit your job and try and be a writer today you're going to go bankrupt and live with your mom.
2: Yes, it is very, very trying and very, very time-consuming. But it is well worth it in the end.
0: Yes. I I, I, I would agree with that, too. Um, And in fact, the best way I've, I've heard the effort it takes to get into this sort of gig is, are you working so hard that you've never worked as hard on anything else in your entire life and you are just inches from working yourself to literal death then work a little bit harder, and you might make it.
2: That about summarizes it. That is an excellent uh, summation of how we get into this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Work your fingers to the bone and study, 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 and don't try to take a shortcut, that's for sure. Invest in a good keyboard. Yes, yes. when it goes when it tick a tick a
0: tick tick Okay, for viewers that don't know, they're making fun of me because I have – a pair of keyboards in the house. One of them is $100 to buy. One of them is $150 to buy. And they make fun of me because I have very expensive keyboards that make loud noises.
2: That sound but, like an old IBM keyboard.
0: But when you spend so much time banging away on those things, it's worth it. <laughs> it's really, really worth it. Like, if you're a waitress, you buy nice shoes. Because why nice shoes keep your feet comfortable? It's the same thing. Anyway, so let's move on to our next question. So thank you, Rob. Uh, that was a great, great question. Um... Our next one is from Matt Lake, and he wants to know, what do we think is the most underestimated car for the last decade?
1: I'm going to go first on this one. Because I'm a, I'm a Chevy Trailblazer kind of guy, I'm just going to go there. I think the Chevy Trailblazer SS with the uh, the 6-liter Corvette
0: motor in it is just amazing. You know what? Anything with small-block Corvette engine, like that's always just good. Yeah,
1: I, you know, it's got power. It's got all-wheel drive. Um, it was lowered, and it's just, you know, it's a decently handling car. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, people just, oh, it's a Trailblazer. Just kind of brushed it off. Um, I don't really think they sold that many of them, although I do see them on the road quite a bit, probably just because I'm always oh, I'm looking for sure. them. But, yeah. Um, But, oh, I totally wish I could trade my Trailblazer in on one. I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: Uh, that's Okay, so my most underestimated car is kind of along those same lines. Um, I think it's the Subaru Outback XT. Most people don't realize this car even exists, but if you see a second-generation Outback, so like the 2005 to 2007 uh, models, and you see a hood scoop on it, that is because it is an XT model, which is essentially a Subaru Outback with a WRX drive drivetrain under it. So we're, looking at, sweet. Yeah, so we're looking at the 250 plus whatever horsepower turbocharged boxer engine with the fancy all-wheel drive system and a manual transmission. They sold them with a six-speed manual. It is a or at least the later ones you can get with a six-speed manual but essentially it is just a WRX in an Outback and very few people know they exist. Very few people own them. The ones that I have seen that are owned, most of them are beaten to literal death. They barely run anymore but If I could find one of those, I would buy it, even though I have a sort of aversion to Subarus because that is one of my favorite cars.
2: That sounds like the ultimate. That's a respectable.
0: Right, it it does sound like the ultimate sleeper. Like you just see a Subaru Outback wagon pull up next to you at the lights, and I blister away in four and a half seconds or whatever because I have this huge turbocharged engine up in in front of my feet. It's just fantastic.
2: Well, I'm going to uh, kind of stick with the homerism of Mark here. Uh, I'm a little bit partial to my car. Uh, didn't get much press when it came out. Still does not get much press to this day. The old Mazda Speed Miata. Um, so many people, when I say, I have a Mazda Speed Miata. What's a Mazda Speed Miata? Is that a chick's car? It's like, no, you have a 1.8 liter <laughs> turbocharged. You only made it for two years. So on top of being you know, 180 horsepower and 0-60 to 60 in about six seconds or so, it's so rare, like you never ever see that. Uh, you see a select few here and there, but and the following of Miata alone is, uh, um, is cult enough. You get the Miata fans, and we're like this super cult inside of a big cult of the Miata fans. Um, and it's just it's so quick. It handles the Miata, already handles nice enough. You get the Bilstein shocks and the big thick anti roll bars underneath of it, it just handles like a, a dream uh it's crappy like all other miatas on the inside the top is loud as all hell um but for the for the money i spent for this car for the speed and handling ah i just can't beat it um for the price i paid of course it's no ferrari um and i just think it hasn't gotten its fair it just hasn't gotten its fair shake in the industry nobody ever talks about it
0: um you know that's yeah but it, it was sort of a blip like Mazda created this thing. It was, what, 04 and 05, right? That was was all it was? Yeah. Right, and then immediately we got the third-generation Miata, which was more powerful than the old one, and it didn't weigh that much more, but it got bigger and nicer. And so, like, that's sort of the thing. Like, like, hey, look, we have this Mazda Speed. Oh, wait, never mind. Here's a a new car. Enjoy.
2: From my understanding, this is my understanding. I'm not sure what the truth is behind it. The reasoning for the Mazda Speed not continuing was some kind of fire or one of their plants... Uh, destroyed something that was integral to be building this machine, and they just never rebuilt it. I guess they didn't huh. sell enough units and didn't have the funds. They didn't. Uh, they couldn't warrant the funds to build it because they didn't sell enough of them.
0: Right. So well, am not but, sure what the truth is behind that, but that's the rumor that I hear floating around. Right, but, I mean, still, like, the NC Miata now, that 2-liter uh, that's in that is, what, 160, 160 horsepower? 160. 160. So, I mean, it's it's increased the horsepower a lot and the weight hardly increased at all from the NB to the NC. So, I mean, they had already closed a lot of that performance gap. So, I could see why they're like, well, our new car is better anyways, so I don't see a huge need to make an even faster, better version of that car. I mean, they've given us a couple of special edition cars that have lost some weight and stuff like that. But for the most part, I mean, it's just a good car and they've kind of left it as it is.
2: Yeah, but the thing is, with the technology now, imagine what they could do with with a Mazda Speed Miata. All the turbocharging technology we have out nowadays um, would just crush the thing I have now, so why not bring it back?
0: I, I just don't understand that. Well, but here's the thing, though. Mazda really only has one turbocharged engine right now, and it's that 2.3 that's in the Mazda Speed 3, and that, is from from everything that I can tell, was never designed to be mounted longitudinally. It's, it's just a transverse engine design, and that's why it's in the Mazda Speed 3, and it's in the... Uh, tx7 and it's in all all those like that's that's what it was designed for and that's really the only turbocharged engine they have right now everything else is naturally aspirated
2: well when they uh, built the miata Mazda speed it wasn't a new engine it's not a new engine it's the same old double overhead cam 1.8 liter uh just with some uh computer upgrades and turbo piping there's really not much change on the inside of that engine
0: really i thought there was a lot more to it i thought it had better better valves and things like that in it too
2: Oh, well, they may have changed a few of the guts, but really it's the same essentially the same engine. They may have changed a few of the guts, but the, engine's still, the engine was still there, so I wonder why they can't do it again.
0: Who knows? Maybe it's because they've spent so much time. Maybe, maybe <coughs> they spent all their money on making the next fourth-generation Miata a carbon fiber beast like the 4C. That huh. be. Wouldn't that be awesome? awesome? That would be the most awesome thing in the world. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
2: Again, like I say, that would be one of the few cars I would trade mine in on. I would say, here, take my car, take it, my baby. Yep, I'll take that.
0: <laughs> like, here's the brand new Miata. It only has a 1.1 liter engine. You're like, what? And go, by the way, it only weighs 1,000 pounds.
2: <sighs> yes! Thank you!
0: <laughs> that, I think, is actually bordering on go-kart.
1: Yes. Yeah. And go-kart is fun. I've got to buy a Miata. Yeah. I've waited too long.
2: They're, they're so much fun, especially you get the uh, the NA generation. They're just so much fun. They're so natural back then. Yeah. Mine's still pretty pretty analog, but back then they were just they're just perfect road cars. They weren't fast, they weren't quick, but they handled like none other, and they're great for like for SCCA racing. They were just perfect for that.
0: All right, well, so Matt, thank you for your question. There you go. We've got the Subaru Outback XT. We have the Mazda Speed Miata from 2004 and 2005, and we have Mark. Which the I mean, he SS. likes his Trailblazer, so he we have the Trailblazer SS. Which I mean, you know what? I want to give Mark crap about it, but I kind of dig the Trailblazer SS too. So.
2: It is a pretty cool. It is a pretty cool SUV, and it kind of goes on the same line with that. Uh, what they make the Chevy Colorado with the five point three V eight? That thing. Was yes, good. yes, <laughs> that was disgustingly sick.
1: <laughs> that the ultimate sleeper. I don't think GM actually knew they built that car. It seems like because I mean they they didn't herald it as a performance car. They'd be like, oh yeah, you can do the 5.3 in it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah no one ever talked about it.
2: Yeah, it's like some, it's like some random crazy guy on a production line just goes, see, what's this guy? They would put a 5.3 in a few of these things, <laughs> and they just forgot about it.
0: Yeah, all right. I mean, That was good numbers out of that car, though. Yeah, that it was surprisingly quick. Yeah. Um, all right, so we have one more question, um, which I wanted to spend a lot of time on, but we're already running over, so we'll make it quick, and I'm going to see if I can't... I, I, I might write up a piece for this, Um this guy's name is Joey Twelve J or Twenty One. It's J O O E Twenty One. Um, he wants to know what our thoughts are on the new hybrid super supercars. Um, would they be better without the hybrid system? He is interested in you know, is the batteries and the motors and all that stuff is that adding too much weight? Would they have been better off just cutting the car and making you know a higher horsepower turbocharged sort of car than spending all this time and money on the electrical systems and all the weight that goes with that? Um, like I said, I have an hour and a half I could spend on this by myself, so I'm going to stay out of this one real, real quick. Um, I have a lot to say on the physics behind how this works, but um, I'll let Mark and Justin chime in real quick. Let's start with Justin.
2: Well, first, first of all, um, what they're doing with these hybrid supercars is building for the future. These are the plans. This is, this is laying the foundation for the future of supercars and, and, and sports cars. Uh, yeah, sure, the batteries are still heavy as hell, they're getting significantly lighter each and every year but they're still heavy um, you know they're learning to put these batteries down low in the chassis they're learning that they put this weight down low suddenly the car handles great for all the weight it has they still handle great go out and drive a Fisker Karma I had the pleasure to drive one um, unfortunately I have a hard time finding one now but for a five thousand pound car that thing actually handled pretty well because they put that big battery down on the bottom side of the car um, but really, they're building for um, lightening the batteries in the future. They're trying to get this technology out there and in the minds of people because as much as we hate to admit it, the CAFE system is coming and we're going to have to hit something like 52 point some odd miles per gallon in the next 10 or 15 years. So if they want to continue building and producing these cars that perform well, they have to lay the, 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 the groundwork for this technology. And that's what we're seeing in these halo cars. Like it's always been, they're going to build from the top mm-hmm. down. We see the stuff start in, in racing. Now it's coming in the hypercars. It'll make it into the top-end supercars. And it's going to trickle down from there. Um, but I honestly think they're awesome. Um, you get better fuel economy. You get um, the ability to switch up the gas. You don't have to drive it on hybrid. You can drive it straight on gas. Uh, Jay Leno just drove the Porsche 918 and showed us what, how awesome it really is switching between all the different modes um, and straight V8 power it's still a very fast car regardless of the weight um, it's just that hybrid adds
1: a little extra punch to it what do you think Mark? well you know I, I love this I can, I can kind of talk about this too um, Jay Leno and the same thing he, um, he just did a video and I just wrote the piece it's going to be up on the website later um, he just took a look at it, it's it's odd it's a Ford Focus but it has a brand new powertrain uh, built uh, completely completely out of out of Ford's hands but anyway it is a one liter four cylinder that has a turbo and an electronically powered supercharger and the supercharger acts as a um, oh what the, what's the term Justin the um,
2: it eats up the turbo lag I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I can't remember what they actually call it, but it eats up the turbo leg, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so in in between the time that you you, you goose the gas and the turbo spools up, the electronic supercharger is, is boosting the engine, and that makes seamless power. The cool thing about this is, um, yes, it's a smaller engine, but it gets about 47% better fuel economy than the, uh, the old 2-liter that was in the car. So this car is getting like 60 miles to the gallon, with no loss in uh, the zero to sixty time, and uh, and and basically, I mean it's it's good all the way around. The best thing about it, those costs are very minimal. They're talking about like eleven hundred dollars on top of the basic Ford Focus cost for this system. So I mean, here is the everyday plain Jane application to what we're seeing in the P1 and, and all of these crazy F1 cars. It's right here. It's it's happening, um, and I think it's it's just a few generations away from actually coming to your driveway. It's it's gonna happen. We're seeing this technology trickle down, and uh, it costs a very minimal extra amount of money for us to have this sort of great hybrid technology that is still has the power. It
0: still has the the oomph, but gets sixty mpg. There we go. Um, but uh, a little more also to the performance side of, of the question. You don't think so because you think hybrid, it's a hybrid. But actually, I can promise you 110% that neither the P1 or the Porsche 918 would ever, in the history of ever, be as fast as they are today without those hybrid systems. Um, a lot of it has to do with the way you can get powered down. Um, electric motors... Instant full torque. From zero RPMs, they have all of their torque. So instead of having to wait for something to build up, you have that extra punch. Um, A lot of things you see, like a 2,000 horsepower Lamborghini or whatever. The turbo lag on a car like that is so tremendous. Like, if it says a 060 time in three and a half seconds, two of those seconds are you standing still with your foot flat on the floor while the turbos spool up, and then it just launches you in that last one and a half seconds. Um, When you have electric motors... What you can have is the moment you punch that gas pedal, the electric motors launch the car while the turbos are spooling up. So you have immediate, constant power all the time. So these cars are actually much, much faster than they would be. So while it's cool to say I'd rather have you know, a Ferrari Enzo or you know any other supercar that's just a pure gasoline-powered monster with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horsepower... The simple fact of the matter is that um, you would have a faster car with the hybrid system than you would without it. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it
1: really is a good system, too. I think it's just the market is ready for it, you know. That's plain and simple. The market's ready for it, and I think the technology's there. The the
0: hardware's there. Why not? There you go. See, that's that's exactly the right point, you know, is... <laughs> that everything is much faster now with this system, and it's making the cars more fuel-efficient fuel, fuel efficient than we would be used to normally, um, and I think they're better all the way around, and I want all the supercars to kind of move in this general direction because yes. that's, just like everyone else has said, that's going to bring that technology down. So imagine, you know, you could have a Ford Focus with, like, imagine the the next Focus X, XT with 300 horse, horsepower, but it also happens to get 50 miles to the gallon. Like, that's the kind of future we're heading towards. Yeah, because um, of this, the forced induction and everything like that. It's, it's great. Right. Um, we're way over time, but we got one more thing to touch on really quick. Um, we're making a new segment. It's called Drive, Own, Burn. The idea is I'm going to list off three cars. Um, one of them we have to drive for the rest of our lives. Or, sorry, one of them we get, to, we get to drive once. One of them we have to own for the rest of our, our lives. And one of them we have to burn without ever driving or touching. Um, to go with our last question, the three cars we're going to go with this week, and they don't know what this is, so this is this is sort of fun. The three cars we're going to do this week are the P1, the 918, and the LaFerrari. Oh, just kill <laughs> me. Justin, go first.
2: I'll take kill myself because I don't want to decide between the three. <laughs> I, I second that. I'm like,
1: ah, how do you kind oh of? Oh my god. god, you can't, you can't really do that.
2: Well, um. First things first, I'm going to burn the LaFerrari. Why? I hate that name. I hate it. <laughs> I hate that. They could not have picked the worst name. Oh, the LaFerrari? It sounds like a two-year-old named it. It's
0: uh, the Ferrari, the Ferrari.
2: Yeah, it's Ferrari, the Ferrari. Whoa, Creative. <laughs> that's like Pontiac when it got rid of the Sunbird and renamed it the Sunfire. Hey, it's a new car. <laughs> <laughs> Completely re-engineered. <laughs> um, and it's between the P1 and the 918. I would want to drive the P1 one time. Just one time. Um, because it's just a awesome car, but McLaren's presence in the U.S. isn't uh, broad enough. For me to want to keep that forever, um, stuff starts breaking. Where am I going to take this thing? Where's the closest McLaren dealer? I have no idea. How long will it take to get the parts for it? I don't know. Um, so, I, and then I'd have to take the 918 um, forever because uh, it's it's just a sick car. Looks fantastic. It doesn't look all crazy looking. Looks like a normal old hopped up Porsche Carrera. Looks like they took the Carrera, updated it a little bit, and made it look just awesome. Um, and seeing Jay Leno testing it just completely turned me on to it so I'm glad you actually included this car because that's fresh off that video um, and it's just outstanding power I mean what is it it's up a uh, 900 horsepower or something like that
0: yeah ridiculous. I think 880 yeah. or 885 Something. It's like that.
2: just insane acceleration and the ability to immediately switch it between modes and the interior is still comfortable but sporty it's just a, a really nice all-around car, so I'd have to keep that one. And also, I can get parts for it, probably.
0: <laughs> probably.
2: Ten oh, years yeah. down the road. Because I'm not one of these guys that's going to take a you know, several hundred thousand dollar car and park in my garage and say, ooh, isn't it pretty? I want to take that son of a gun, and I want to drive it. I'm going like to drive that. it until I have to you know, re- replace the tires 50 times.
0: 500,000 okay? miles a year. Yes.
2: Yes. And every single one of them will be tire smoke behind me.
1: <laughs> oh, my <laughs> well Justin as much as I agree with you and I want to like second your opinions on everything I, I you know I'm going to have to venture off and say yep I would burn the LaFerrari because eh, eh, that's all. Uh the Porsche I I think that was that's going to be my drive once car. Um and then I would stick with the P1 for the uh, the own every day. Um I wouldn't be the type that would park it in the garage and oodle over it, but I wouldn't drive it every day, but yeah I could still own it for the rest of my life. Um I know, it's just an amazing car. The technology in that car, the way it looks, the way it sounds, the fire breeze when it throttle it, blips. I, please,
0: I'll take that. <laughs> wow. So I'm the only guy here who's interested in getting behind the wheel of the Ferrari. Well, Ferrari, if you're listening, as you can tell, these other two idiots here, they don't want anything to do with your cars. So if you need someone to do a review on one of your fantastic machines, I will happily take care of that for you. Um, I, I, I would burn the P1 actually. Ouch. Why? Um cuz it's my least favorite of the 3. Um like it's super cool, but for the kind of car it is, I prefer the Porsche. I would I would own the Porsche. Um not just because I'm a Porsche fan, but I like the way it looks better. I like the fact the top comes off, so you know, if you're out on a beautiful day, you've got a convertible. Um plus, plus cuz it's a plug-in hybrid, it actually gets better fuel economy than the Ah, uh, P1 does, which I know is sort of pointless when you're discussing these things, but um, I would have to do some personal testing. But from some of the numbers they're claiming, like you should be able to hit like 50, 60 miles to the gallon with that car in short dis dis distances if you're careful. So like, 50, 60 miles to the gallon out of a 900 horsepower car sounds awesome to me. So I've got the fuel economy. You know, I like the way it looks, top comes out, that's the one I would own. I would burn the P1 just because uh, it's just a slightly different version of the Porsche. The LaFerrari is a Ferrari, and it's the newest, biggest, craziest, fastest Ferrari that they have. So, obviously, I have to drive this thing. You know, I don't want to own it because it's a Ferrari. It'll probably break, who knows, it might even set itself on fire. Probably catch on (laughs)
1: fire. I don't know, the Porsche might too.
0: Yeah, well, with the way Porsche is going, the Porsche might. But um, so yeah, I would I would drive the LaFerrari because I've I've not had the opportunity to actually be behind the wheel of a Ferrari. But I've never met a single human being ever in the world who's like driving a Ferrari is not a great great experience. No one has ever said that. Like, not even for like some of their terrible cars. Like a lot of people hate on the Testarossa, but nobody still says Ferraris are terrible to drive. Ferrari may have made a terrible car, but nothing they've ever made really has ever been like terrible to drive. So I want to experience that once, and why not experience that with their newest, latest, best, fastest car?
2: Mm. Makes I, sense, I, I, but you're wrong.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who decides who's wrong, so obviously <laughs> I am correct. Um, I mean, Justin, you got it right with, with, with the 918. I think that's the one to own. Um, and yeah, just if, if, if I could only drive one once, and, and that was the question, if someone was like, you can only drive the P1 once or you can only drive the LaFerrari once, I would take the Ferrari because it's a Ferrari. I mean, that's that's what you do. So, anyways, folks, uh, that's that's been our show. Um, normally we try to stick to an hour. It seems like we're going to do about an hour and a half this time. Um, we apologize if the length is a little long for you, but we well, thank we had, you for We sticking have to make in up there. for
1: the crappy show last week.
0: Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, we hope everyone enjoys our new audio. We've all got brand new mics. We think we've worked out all the bugs. So um, we should be coming to you crisp and clear, and this is the new high-def TopSpeed.com podcast. Um, As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please drop us a line. Uh, You can hit us in the comments, or uh, you can drop us an email, podcast at TopSpeed.com. If you want to talk to either one of us directly, um, I'm Chris Moe. You can find me on Twitter at Moford. Justin Coupler can be found at the car junkie and Mark McNabb is at Mark McNabb. Um, we thank everyone for listening and tuning in and we hope to see you guys next week. It's been fun.